One thing before we get started. This episode contains strong language, so please use discretion. Hi, I'm Emma Clark, and this is Before the Bar Opens, the podcast about what happens before the music starts. I talk to people who make, use, and love music. Darren Altman started playing the drums at the age of eight. At the age of 14, he studied at Trinity College of Music, then at Leeds College of Music, then the Guildhall School of Music and Drama. He went on to occupy the drum chair in the National Youth Jazz Orchestra. He's toured the world, played at Ronnie Scott's, hallowed ground for any jazz musician, and has numerous film and television soundtracks to his credit. Darren played in the live BBC One broadcast for the Queen's Golden Jubilee celebrations. He's worked with Hollywood greats and music legends. He's Professor of Jazz Drums at the Purcell School of Music and has taught at Guildhall School of Music and Drama and the Royal Academy of Music. He's also a hugely successful voice actor, providing voiceovers for cartoon, films and advertisements for clients all over the world. Darren also reached the live semi-finals of Britain's Got Talent, performing celebrity impressions. But with regard to Darren's musical life, I wanted to know, why drums? When I was a little boy, my mum and my dad, God rest his soul, is no longer with us, bought me a little blue Maxwin by Pearl. And it was a little, what you call a jazz kit now, I suppose, just one tom-tom over the bass drum and a floor tom. And that was it. And from an early age, I just remember being in my room and then a Premier APK, a black Premier APK, just bashing along to all my chart hits 81 and late 70s singles, 45s. And now that's what I call music. And it sort of progressed from there, really. So a childhood gift basically gave you a whole lifetime of music. I guess so. I mean, I've always been fascinated by music and not just drumming and rhythm, but also chords. I remember like listening to certain stuff and not understanding it or knowing why I was feeling like this. But it was chord progressions and chord changes, which made, you know, when you listen to something and you get a shiver right through, you go, oh, wow. I love that. Yeah, it's it, it was that. And I didn't know what it was. What was giving you that? Can you remember the music? Even if I listened to something like Star Maker by the kids from Fame, so I would have been nine. This is just something which is coming to me. Just that like that change into the chorus, the chords, whatever they were, from the end of the verse into the chorus, that Star Maker, I would just get shivers and virtually want to cry. Oh, I know that feeling. It's like, do you get a tingle up your back yeah. at the same time? It, it was, what's the word? Is it visceral? Is that when you can actually yeah. feel it? Yeah, it was It was as visceral as that, like a certain chord change. It's a surge of life-affirming joy. It really was. And that's when I knew that it was music. It was always going to be music, really. When did you realise that you were actually really going to take this further? That it was more than just a hobby for you, that it was more than just a thing a kid did in his room? So I started having drum lessons with various tutors and I started to learn how to read music pretty quickly, like from a very young age, I could read. And my dad, before I could drive, my dad would take me to local big bands and I would play all the Count Basie, Sammy Nestico charts, and I would read music just like I'd read a book. Like, I found it fairly easy to interpret charts. So I was playing on all the local big bands and playing that music, and so there was me, like, sort of 14, 15, 16 years old, and all these old guys, and I would be, you know, <laughs> driving these these famous Sammy Nestico Count Basie charts. And um, 
it just sort of stemmed from there. Then I went to Trinity College of Music junior department on a Saturday. I had to play a piano piece and I was really, do you remember that Richard Clayderman piece? Oh, I do. Do you know, my mother had a thing about Richard Clayderman. I found him a bit creepy. Well, (laughs) yeah, so I played that and they must have seen some promise because I remember the the lady said to me, oh, that's a very interesting piece, Darren. What was that called? And I said, I've got no idea. I said, it was, I said, it's, it's on an advert. Richard Clayderman plays it. Anyway, so they let me in. And then I started studying classical percussion and all the repertoire, like timpani. And then I had uh, music with an incredible uh, percussionist. We're really good friends now. She plays for Van Morrison and did all the TV shows in the 90s, uh, a lady called Tina Lyle, who's a phenomenal musician. And it just went from there. Then I went to the senior department and up to Leeds to do my degree and then the Guildhall, as you said. So it was a natural progression. What's the most difficult skill a drummer has to learn? Right. For me, probably discipline, because drumming is one of those instruments, sort of a little like guitar, where if you go in a certain direction, you know, it's very, very easy to overplay. And I was influenced by drummers. One of my favorite drummers is a guy called Vinnie Colliuta, who's played with Sting. He's played with Joni Mitchell. He's played with absolutely everyone, like all the Herbie Hancock, Chick Corea, everyone, you name it, he's played with them. And he's got a very... I won't say bombastic, but he's got so much facility and technique that it's it's unbelievable. And I remember doing albums at Real World, Peter Gabriel's place in Bath. Um, wow. And they just kept on saying, you've got to play less, you've got to play less. And, and they were completely right. It was the exuberance of youth. It was a, a folk group. I don't know if you've heard of a violinist called Seth Lakeman. Oh, Sean I love Lakeman. Seth Lakeman. Okay, so it was Sean and Seth brothers it was a group called uh, equation with Catherine roberts and cara dillon it was like a sort of folk super group i've seen them play live well there you go wonderful voices unbelievable so i did a tour of the uk with them and we recorded an album called return to me it's a beautiful album but i just had to play less and i think they may have even replaced me on a couple of tracks and got dave mattox in who's the drummer for fairport convention but if i'd have known that there's a lot of regrets in my life emma because if i'd have known then what i know now i'd have just shut up and you know just played what was required <laughs> yeah but isn't that all part of the learning though you know we never stop learning as musicians and every piece that we play every gig that we play is different And every collaboration is different and it it requires different skills. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So don't beat yourself up. Don't have regrets. Darren, you're you're a phenomenon. Well, that's very kind of you. But I mean, you do have, well, I do have regrets and just think, well, you know, I, I did reach an incredible standard. You know, I mean, I was lucky enough to do, as you said, you know, film sessions at Abbey Road and work with people like George Martin and ridiculous composers. But I mean, maybe if I would have had that discipline, you never know, you know, you never know what might have happened, but you know, it's, it's, uh, that's... Do you have independence when you drum? That thing where you can do something completely different with your right hand than your left hand? Oh, you have to, yes. I mean, especially yeah, some yeah. of the, the, the sort of salsa and Latin things where you're going, it becomes quite complex, you know, when you're playing a sort of Montuno figure with your foot and then something else with um, a clave with your left hand and uh, a bell pattern um, with a go-go pattern or something with your right hand. So, yeah, that stuff can get pretty. And, as, you know, in jazz, a lot of the straight ahead jazz phrasing if you're in a small group you know you can break it up so it's really quite complicated but as you know it should all feel good it shouldn't feel like an exercise it should feel and sit you know it should move you it shouldn't be like oh wow look at him you know he can do so and so you know what's 
the biggest influence on your musical life? Who is it? What is it? Is it a piece? Is it a person? Is it in you? Um, oh, there's a question. Vinny's drumming just always. I mean, even now, there'll be YouTube channels that I subscribe to and they'll, they'll maybe play a new album that he's on or, or an old video that I haven't seen. And I look at that and I, I just get the horn. It, 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 it's amazing. <laughs> but having said that, you know, I can listen to a piece of music and there'll be like a chord progression or one chord follows the other. And that, like we were saying, the shiver goes right through you. And yeah. we were in a Mexican restaurant the other night, and I wrote down a load of salsa albums. I said, oh, listen, you can't keep on playing the bloody Gypsy Kings to your customer. This is ridiculous. So I, I said, give us a pen and paper. So I wrote down a few Latin albums. There's a Gloria Estefan one called Meteora and uh, another percussionist called Orlando Polio, one of his. And that stuff really moves me. You know, some of the Latin phrasing and, and the chords there, you can go on and on and on. But you know when you hear something, and like you say, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, and you go, oh, my God, that sounded unbelievable. It sounds as well like your dad was a massive influence. Oh, bless him, yeah. I've got his picture in front of me. I mean, as a, a young boy, you know, I couldn't have played in local big bands. You know, well, I couldn't drive, so, you know, he, he would drive me everywhere on a Saturday to drum lessons, and he would drive me over to rehearsals. He He didn't play he wasn't musical he must have seen it in you and wanted to nurture it and give you well he bloody heard it when i was knocking 10 tons of shit out the drums in my bedroom <laughs> i was gonna say what did your mum say well they just and left, the neighbors yeah they what just, are the neighbors darren what are the neighbors they they just, they just left me to it in fact the um uh the guy on the right was a, a record producer he had long blonde hair you know in the late 80s like uh europe or bon jovi and he produced for a canadian rock band called Loverboy. but now they left me to it and um like i said you know he would he would just take me to all the local big bands and all the rehearsals and uh yeah well, i couldn't have done it without them clearly darren spoke about his dad with such love he also had massive respect for the musicians who'd inspired him. Darren's whole musical life has been shaped by affection, fellowship, respect and inspiration. What's your practice routine? Well, when I was playing, I don't, unfortunately don't play anymore, but... It would just be discipline. You would, um, you know, I was lucky enough to play with later on when I went to music college, I met a guy called Dave Hassel, who's up in Manchester. Yeah, I know Dave Hassel. Yeah, he's a bit of a legend and he's the most unbelievable knowledge on Latin, African, ethnic music, jazz. So I went up and studied with him. I got the train from London to Manchester to have a session with him. And I used to teach on a jazz course in Wales, the Glamorgan Summer School every year. And just being with him, he was a strict discipline. So I, he always remembers the story of um, in the bar, they'd have jam sessions at night. And um, I used to love salsa, but I didn't really study it. And so um, one night after a few beers, you know, that he would have, um, you know, people on stage and he'd be directing uh, this salsa band. And I went on stage and I picked up a cowbell and it was certain sections like a Montuno, I was playing it all wrong. Even though it was like a jam session in a bar in Wales and everyone was pissed, he because he takes the music so seriously, he shouted, no, fuck you doing? And he came up to me and he said, Darren. And I said, oh, sorry about that, Dave. And he went, don't ever let me see you with a fucking cowbell in your hand again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave. <laughs> but... um. <laughs> But in terms of the jazz stuff, he was unbelievable. And I would also have lessons with a guy called 
Bob Armstrong, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but he has taught a lot of the great jazz drummers that have come from this country. And um, there's a whole hand technique called the Moella technique, which is like down, up, tap, and full strokes. It's the whole arm movement. So, you know, when you see someone and you just go, oh my God, their hands are like beautiful because they've yes. got such good technique. Well, he would teach this technique called the Moella technique. And How did he teach it? How did he get people to, to do that with their hands? Well, uh, to start off with, it would be quite mechanical. Like you play triplets, da, 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 and you would play the movement like from hand to hand, down, up tap down up tap it would be quite mechanical but then so you'd spend hours on a pad and when you were doing semi-quavers down tap up tap down tap up tap down tap then you'd reverse it to the other hand start with the left and then what you would do is you would just spend hours practicing all these movements and when you got on the bandstand you would forget about it like you couldn't yes so you build the muscle memory you build those neural pathways and it just becomes the regular stuff that your body is used to doing exactly so hopefully you know when you come to playing say you're you're playing something quite tricky like it's not unusual when it's da 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 and you've got to do that well the only way that you can do that fast quavers on your right hand is by having really good technique and like but you can't sort of consciously think of that when you're on the bandstand you just trust that you've worked for so many hours that your right hand for example will be nice and loose and relaxed and give you the ability to play music and to make the music which is what we're all about at the end of the day Drumming is a vigorous physical act, especially jazz drumming. I wanted to know how Darren prepared his body as well as his mind. So before a gig, what does a drummer do to warm up? Well, you'd sit on a pad. Obviously, you can't bash the hell out of the drums because you'll just upset and annoy everyone. So before a gig, you know... Cathartic, though, isn't it? Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you would maybe take a pad or you would you know, on the side of a sofa or something and just get the hands going and warm up, doing all these down tap, up tap, semi-quavers, paradiddles, rudiments, just to get the blood flowing to your hands, really. And then you can sit down and play. And, and like I said, you you know, your hands are nice and warm. and Or you don't warm up. And the first sort of numbers, you ease into it, the first couple of numbers. And um, you gradually sort of warm up as, as you you're going. playing yeah presumably the set list is sort of tailored to ease the musicians in <laughs> and the audience presumably sometimes yeah that's right you wouldn't normally start with something which is absolutely balls out because the music it would be tricky for the musician well it wouldn't be tricky but it'd be a, a bit of an onslaught to the risky ears, as well I thought. yeah a set is, sort of, is generally designed to warm into it you're right yeah do you have to keep fit as a drummer I presume, you know, the upper body strength and the stamina that you, you must surely have to have. You're not really told that or taught that as a drummer. You don't sort of go to um, someone and they say, oh, you know, you need to be running, you need to do your exercises. But I think it's something that drummers generally do have a sense of fitness. I mean, it, it depends on the music. You know, if you're playing balls out, high tempo jazz, you know, one, two, one, two, ah, 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 ding, 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 ding. You know, you've got to have good technique, good stamina and be fit. But it's not something that's sort of drilled into you. Buddy Rich was always into karate and he would eat pasta and he would eat healthily. So you very rarely see a sort of obese drummer sitting by a kid sweating like, a, you know. So I think there is a level of fitness that uh, is sort of taken for granted. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess it's a given. Yeah. In the same way that, you, you know, yeah, presumably, one of the key prerequisites for a drummer is that you've got to have a good sense of rhythm. It's just one of those things you've just got to have. 
in order yeah, to do and, it. Yeah, and, and it is, whether you're playing, you know, in a jazz trio, a pop group or a rock band, the drummer is the engine room. That's where it all comes from, really. And uh, you have to have a level of stamina um, in order to keep going and keep the intensity up, certainly in certain types of music. Of all the shows and recordings that you've been part of, what's been your favourite? Oh, wow. Um, I always love um, a big band. I just think that phrasing with the horns, and I used to do a lot of the Sinatra shows. I played in a West End show called The Rat Pack, where there was like a Sammy, Dean and Frank, and it was playing all that. You know, it was all the Quincy Jones arrangements, Fly Me to the Moon and all that. And that, fly me to, it was the buzz. You can't. You know, I mean, I'm smiling, and as, as it, it, it's it's just wonderful music. I mean, it's it's part of our history and, and tradition. And don't get me wrong, you know, playing in pop bands is great, but there was just something about the way you set up the trumpets and the saxophone hits and set up the horn phrasing and but that could, getting that uh, blend of sound. Yeah, and some of my happiest memories ever behind a drum kit was playing in Nigel, the National Youth Jazz Orchestra. We'd do gigs all over the country and when you're playing with your best mates and just laughing and giggling and I just felt so at home like can't describe the feeling that I got by playing with that band to have five trumpets four saxes four trombones rhythm section percussionists and they're all your mates and the music's great they can all play the arse out of it it was oh it, wonderful wonderful what happens if you're ever not feeling it if you're under the weather and you've somehow got to pull it out the bag What's that like? I've done gigs with a banging headache. When I was younger, I used to sort of get the the occasional migraine and it's hard, but you just have to get your head down and get on with it. It's not nice. It's not pleasant if you're not well, but the show must go on. I mean, there are stories, is it Buddy Rich or someone where they, they, they had an abscessed tooth? I think he was playing and there was blood pouring out all over the snare drum and oh, he just had to get on, get on with it. And he got off the stage and patched himself up and carried on, you know. <laughs> Now, drummers have got a bit of a reputation for being eccentric. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's a well-earned, fair <laughs> reputation? I don't know. I mean, I know quite a few um, characterful drummers, and I know some that are very, very straight-laced, you know, that just play the hell out of the drums. I don't know. If you're thinking about Keith Moon and people like that. I'm actually thinking about my husband. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Um, we, we haven't met, unfortunately. I'm sure we will do one day, but... Um, <laughs> We do have a reputation for, uh, I've certainly, uh, you know, I'm a cheeky chappy, let's just say, but I know equally good drummers, which wouldn't say boo to a goose, which are very, very straight and just phenomenal drummers at the top of their game. So I don't know if it's a well-earned reputation or if I think people like Keith Moon and uh, people like that have set a high bar, shall we say. Darren spoke with such nostalgia about his time working with big bands. I got the sense he loved the camaraderie and the energy of being surrounded by other musicians. Now, as a voice actor, he mostly works alone. I wondered how these two completely different creative occupations were similar, if at all. You're also a successful voice actor. Are there any transferable skills from drummer to voice actor? That's a very good question. I would say musically, yes. I mean, in terms of rhythm... 
Yeah, that's what I did all my life before I transferred my skills and profession. But definitely the ability to read at different tempos, to give different alts in terms of pitch. I mean, if I'm on a session or if I'm not on a session, I can give five, six, seven completely different ways of phrasing something and then the producer can take which one they prefer. But I just think that comes with having a musical ear, so not necessarily drumming. The way you phrase the pitch, almost like the melody, Emma. Yes. The yes. intonation, fast, slow, pauses, and that comes from having a musical ear. Now, I'm not saying it's solely limited to musicians. There are people that just have that innate ability to, to hear things and to offer different options. But I think playing music will definitely give you more of an ability to offer choices. Definitely. And what happens for you when the music stops, whether you've stopped playing at the end of a gig or when you finish listening to something that you absolutely love? What's that like for you? It's bizarre because I've got two or three drum kits in the loft, and unfortunately I don't have a space. If I did, I'd have a drum room and, and one of them would be set up. Unfortunately, I don't have the space. So it is bizarre. Um, I mean, I did a gig a couple of months ago, and it was the first time I'd, I'd sat behind a drum kit in maybe two years. Wow. And it was weird. The first couple of numbers, um, it was a jazz gig with a, with a singer, the reading was fine because it's just like, you know, if you can speak French, you can just pick it up. And that's that's the way I see reading music. It's a language, you know, so once... It is, yeah. Totally. Yeah, so once, you know, even if you don't do it for a couple of years, you sit down, open the pad, and it's you're just back in that frame of mind. It's like, it's like you were saying, it's sort of muscle memory. But it was bizarre. It was lovely to be behind the drums again. In answer to your question, what do you do when the drumming stops? Well, I'm, I suppose I'm, I'm, in, I'm in that way now, Emma, really, because I'm not really gigging anymore. But I, I think that you can't dwell, I can't have regrets in my life. It would be easy to sort of look back and, and think what I've accomplished and then think what I haven't accomplished or what I aspired to do. But you can't have any regrets in life. It was a strategic decision to pivot, if you want to use that, from music to voiceovers. And so I can't regret what I've done. Still sound, still audio, innit? Exactly. And it's a joy to do. And I am flexing, like we said, you know, I am sort of flexing my musical muscles, but, but in a different way. All the show notes for this episode are available in the description and there's a bunch more stuff at beforethebaropens.com. Before the Bar Opens is created by me, Emma Clark, and is produced by Rick Watson. I compose the theme music. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and maybe be featured in a future episode of Before the Bar Opens, check out the show notes and follow the Leave Us a Voice Message link. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave us a review, hopefully a lovely one, and tell your friends. Another episode will be along very soon, so don't miss it. Thanks for listening.